Now, I celebrated Thanksgiving, two turkeys. I celebrated Thanksgiving. But most of my lights were already up when Thanksgiving arrived. And the reason for me is I love this season. I really do. I I love this season of the year. There is a wonder that comes with all this. There are memories for me that are attached to this. What we are celebrating, I love this season. And I I wanted to just start today encouraging those of you who find yourself frustrated by what you see so much around you that you consider distraction during this time. Too much Santa. To too much consumerism. And you see all that and it just kind of leaves you frustrated. It leaves you discouraged. I want you to realize this season carries an echo of eternity. It does. This season carries an echo of eternity. And what I mean by that is there is something soul deep. Eternity in the hearts of man that draws us to celebrate this season. Because think about it. This is winter. If you didn't know that already, you knew it when you got up this morning. When I left my house, my car said it was 12 degrees. It's winter. But the branding of the season all around us is dark to light. It's dark to light. What I mean by that is pretty much everywhere you look, there is this storyline, there is this narrative of of dark to light. Whether it's Buddy the Elf, or Red Ryder BB Gun, or Scrooge, or whatever it might be, it's this picture of dark to light. But when you really look at winter, is winter about dark to light? No, winter is about light to dark. When you get up in the morning right now, it's dark. When you come home for work, it's dark. Winter is all about dark. But there's something soul deep in the hearts of people. It is eternal that that leads us in this season to celebrate. Why is that? It's because there is something eternal to celebrate. If you got your Bible today, in a minute, I'm going to get to Isaiah. So if you want to grab your Bible and start finding Isaiah, you can do that. But I'm, I'm going to give you the story that gets us to Isaiah. The Bible says that the story begins with God. A God who always has been. And then a God who creates everything. Speaks it into existence Even man and woman, he forms them. He is the creator. And there is this unique phrase that is attached to his creation of man and woman. This is the phrase. They were naked and unashamed. Now, it is funny because like when you're a kid and you read the Bible and it's like naked, it just makes you laugh. That's what you do. But honestly, that phrase is less about nudity, and it is more about the heart. 
What God is saying in that phrase, what he is describing to us in the way that he made man and woman in the beginning is he made them not to have to hide. Ooh, that would be nice. He made them to feel no shame. How cool would that be? I mean, just let yourself for a minute ponder no capacity to feel shame. Now, how wild would that be? Because we live in a time where sometimes even when we don't do something wrong, we feel shame. Well, what happened? Well, the story is sin enters. They sin against God, and all of a sudden, now they are fully clothed with layer upon layer full of shame. And that brokenness affects the relationship between man and woman. And it affects the relationship between mankind and God. But then... God makes a promise. In the middle of the brokenness, God makes a promise that the broken will be made new. And in the middle of the lostness, God makes a promise that the lost will be found. And in the middle of the dark, God makes a promise that the dark will be turned to light. You will get that BB gun. And buddy, you will meet your dad and leave in fam- live in family. And you will awake, and it won't be too late to buy the Christmas turkey. That promise of God echoes. Now, people don't know what to do with it until we we fully align our life with Jesus, but that promise still echoes. And so I just want to encourage those of you who get so frustrated in this season, too much Santa, too much consumerism. It almost drives you to the point that you can't enjoy what's being put in front of you. Listen to what I'm telling you. Unknown even to those who are in this season only for a dollar. The branding of this season still has its roots in the hope of a Messiah who is coming to fix what is broken, to find what is lost, and to turn the light on in the darkness. Let me show you such a promise from God. Isaiah chapter 2 is where you want to be. So if you got your Bible, you got your phone, got whatever, Isaiah chapter 2 is where you're going to want to be. And I want to encourage you, when, when you come in here and, and, and we study together, we talk together, I want to encourage you to either, you know, get something on your phone where you can follow the Scripture, get you a Bible. They still make those, believe it or not. They still make, the paper still exists. Get you one so that, so that you can, like, kind of follow along when we're following along. It gives you something to refer back to during the week. Isaiah is probably not a book that you're going to open on most days when you're just looking for encouragement because Isaiah was a prophet who, who in the very, actually in many of the, the first chapters of this book, he is speaking judgment and he is warning about destruction. The people have sinned against God and now there is a consequence to pay. It is heavy. It is heavy. But in the middle of all that, there's a promise. And here's the promise as it starts in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. 
This is what Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. So in the middle of judgment, in the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of darkness, there's this flicker of light as God's promise is given through Isaiah. And the first promise has something to do with God's temple being elevated. It refers to the highest of mountains, exalted above the hills. You hear, you hear that language. It, it has something to do with God's temple being elevated. What's he saying? Well, let me give you some background. The temple in Jerusalem, unlike a lot of other places, was not built on the highest point in the region. In fact, the Mount of Olives that's not far from Jerusalem is higher than actually the Temple Mount, as we would call it. Now, I'm saying that is really unusual because in the ancient Near East mindset, the higher the mountain, the closer you were to heaven, the more powerful your God. And so when people built religious things, they would typically build them on the highest point that they could be built. That's why sometimes in the Old Testament, when we're reading the stories of God's people, and sometimes out of their sin, they, they repent. It just means they, they turn back to God. One of their actions is to go up to the high places and tear down the idols. Because that's where the idols would be built. They would be built in the high places. Well, what Isaiah is saying is that God is saying he's going to do something huge. And when he does it, it is going to reposition the elevation of the perception of God's glory. It's going to reposition, it's going to reorient the human understanding of what is most glorious, what is greatest in all the earth, what is true, what is most beautiful. He's saying God's going to do something huge that's going to change your perspective on what is most glorious. But in Isaiah's day... They trusted themselves more than they trusted God. When it came to greatness, they tended to lean into themselves more than they did God. They trusted in their own abilities. They trusted in their military might for security. Sound familiar? We know we do that. How do we know they did that? Well, look at verse 7. Skip down to verse 7, and then we'll come back to verse, verse 3. Verse 7 says, their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. In other words, we got this picture that the created people, they are ascribing glory 
They are ascribing greatness to the work of their own hands rather than ascribing greatness to where it really belongs, not in the created, but in the creator of all things. And God is about to change that perspective, Isaiah says. Now, I want you to think about how mountains move. He's describing mountains that are going to ascend. I want you to, to think about what, what happens when the, when the plates of the earth shift, right? And you got this massive movement of, of something that is sinking and something that is elevating. That's the force that we're given here as to how God is going to violently, powerfully shift man's pr perspective on what is true and what is false. And the way he's going to do that is when a baby arrives in Bethlehem. The way he's going to do that is the arrival of a Messiah. The one who would deliver. That's who they're waiting for, and that will be the shift. When Jesus arrives, he exposes all the other storylines that are not true. Right? He exposes the truth, for example, that more stuff will not fix what is broken inside of you and me. And come on, don't you see that happening around us, especially during this season? What does it look like? It is that more stuff, more stuff, more stuff means Mary. More stuff, more stuff means joy. More, more stuff, more stuff means me. But when Jesus shows up, he, he reveals the truth that consumerism will not satisfy our soul. More stuff won't fix what is broken in us. When he shows up, he exposes that all the other stories are not true. Consumerism. It fails. Secularism, it fails. Pluralism, it fails. Nationalism, it fails. Individualism, it all fails. God's glory explodes in the coming of his son. And Isaiah says, it's like a mountain. He's going to rise to the highest peak, and it's going to make every other mountain look tiny. And when that happens, here's what's going to follow. Verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So he says there's going to be this pinnacle elevated among Mankind, so that, so that the peoples of the earth, they're going to see it. They're going to see this greatness. They're going to see how beautiful he is. All the other narratives are going to be revealed as false. And their response is they are going to turn toward him. They're going to look to this mountain, to Mount Zion, and say, we want to know what this is. We want to learn what this is. We want to submit to his greatness. And it's just amazing to me. We're reading, right? 
long time before Jesus is even born, and the mission heart of God is just pouring out. The mission heart of God who loves the whole world, so loves the whole world that he would give his only son. That's what we're reading in Isaiah. A shift in perspective. You're going to see the greatness of God in his son. And people are going to want to turn to him. You understand, it is this mission heart of God. Y'all, that's why we can't ever become a country club. That's why we can't ever become a cruise ship. Because this is not about building something that's to make us comfortable and keep us safe. We have been called to our God in his greatness, and then we are sent out to declare that greatness to the whole earth. All the way back in Isaiah, that's the picture we're given. And he says, as we go out, the law, look at the, the, the references to he will teach us his ways. We'll walk in his paths. His law will go out. His law is supposed to shape us as we go. His law is supposed to make people who align their lives with Jesus distinctively different than the rest of the world. Shall we talk about a few I'm just going to get real practical with you today when we see the greatness of our God and we trust in him walking this path aligned by his law it very much changes how we see things versus how the world see things like Let's just go there. How we see sex. How do we see it? We see it that God created it. And he created it good, not dirty. But we also see it that it's dangerous when it's not kept within the guardrails that God gives for protection and pleasure. God's design is that it operates within marriage. Get this, where a woman is safe and protected and valued. Not consumed, not used, but where her soul will be cherished. Within Marriage, it is both pleasure and it is intimacy building. It is a good gift from God. How does the world see this thing? Contrast that to a world's perspective that it is merely a physical act. And I'm telling you guys, we are living in a season of generations where we do not yet know the extent of a culture and the fruit of a hyper-pornographic day and age where multiple generations, their heads and their hearts are so owned by it, we do not yet know the price to be paid. 
We will. But we don't know it yet. To where boys at an early age are seeing women as something to be consumed rather than something to be valued. And I'm saying, up against that backdrop of our world, those who follow Jesus are supposed to be distinctly different. We are supposed to look strange to the rest of the world. Because we have been to the high place. We have seen what is greater than any other. And we trust his heart. We trust his law. We trust his guardrails. We look weird to the world. The same could be said about our money. I try not to go Greek on you too much, but if you've ever read much in the Bible, you know there's a place in the Bible where it, where it talks about God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful is hilaros. Sounds a lot like hilarious, because it is. It's where we get the word, our word. And it's this image of, of those who have been to this place, and, and, and we have seen his greatness. We are like a madman just giving away. We're like a madman just giving away. And, and God's saying, I love this heart of God, this is all yours, and, and I'm going to give it. Now, contrast that to a world that constantly builds bigger barns. A world that the more it gets, stores. It stores for security. It, it, it's, it stores. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not a place for saving something, but I'm saying the Bible is clear that God loves a heart that is hilariously generous. And there's a difference in being generous and being hilariously generous. You can be generous by just every once in a while doing something and walk away thinking you're generous. To be hilariously generous is a whole different level where people go, you are weird. You're strange. He goes, yep, that's what they look like. Power. It changes how we view power. Because those of us who have seen his greatness, we, we don't view our power as a means to exalt ourselves. That's what this world looks like. No, we view the power that we've been given by God to serve others. You're, you're super gifted, fantastic. He gave that to you. Now, take the, take the parking spot down the line of far away from the building so that others can park close. Woo, that just got personal, didn't it? Woo, that's just mean. That's just mean. When we're shopping, right? We're sh no, no, I deserve the free. He's going, no, you, you got power. You got power. You don't use it for yourself. Jesus modeled that the most powerful leverage their powerful for those who are powerless. We see things different. And if you don't see things different, you may not yet have seen his greatness. Because don't confuse 
It is true that we come to him by grace through faith. We don't earn it. It's not our good deeds. It's not how much money we give. It's not all that. That's not what forgives our sin. That's not how we get to him. But don't be mistaken. The Bible is crystal clear. Those who come to him will look this way. They will live strange. They will love differently. When the peoples of the earth see the high point of God's glory that created this path that we walk on, it makes the people around us either say, that's amazing, or that's weird. I encourage you to realize you are the peoples in this text. We are the people who saw the pinnacle of God's God's glory. Somebody walked in the path of God's grace according to the word of God, and we saw it. Many of us in this room, we saw it, and it was attractive, and we have stepped into this relationship by God's grace. We don't have to wonder if what Isaiah is saying in chapter 2 is true or not. We know it's true because here we are. This is it. Here we are. The mountain shifted. Jesus has come. We see his greatness. People have walked in that path, and now we have seen it, and we have responded. That's really good news. If you have never responded to the greatness of a God who loved you so much that he would die for you and rise again, I want to invite you today to consider he's worth aligning your heart with. He's worth trusting everything to. So what's going to happen next? I'm glad you asked. Verse 4. Verse 4. He will judge between the nations. And will settle disputes for many peoples. They will not beat their they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Okay. So the mountain rises, God's glory is seen. People say, We want to know him. And what Isaiah says is that the Messiah is going to rule and reign in such a way that there will be no more war, no more violence, no more death. People won't even train for war anymore. The effort and the money and the steel that is involved in making war will all be given over to cultivating life. Peace. That will be the result. Peace. So, I'm just saying, it seems to me that we're still pretty good at war. I mean, not just our country, but like, the whole world, I'm saying we still seem to be pretty good at 
training for war, we still seem to be pretty good at going to war. And so the question is, what, okay, Isaiah, what do we do with this? What, what do we do when it looks like a prophecy about what Jesus is going to do over promises and under delivers? Because we still look like we're pretty good at war. I mean, are you right now saying when you, when you read this, right, peace is going to come, no more war, right, no more death. Did, did you read that and go, Isaiah, you nailed it, man. That's exactly right. That's exactly where we are. Thank goodness there's no, no tanks. Thanks goodness we got no predator drones. We got no missiles. Thank goodness all that stuff has been turned into garden equipment. No. No, this is still where we are. So what do we do with this? Well, what we do is we understand that we now live in a period of time called the already, but not yet. The already, but not yet. Some theologians call it the space between. I like the already, but not yet. What they're referring to when they use this phrase are the things that Isaiah said, when Jesus comes, this is going to happen. When the Messiah arrives, this is what's going to unfold. And we live in a time called the already, but not yet. Now, we can see the evidence of the already. Let's start there. How do, how do we know there's evidence of the already? Because here, here I am, and, and here you are, and, and what I mean by that is this is my story. My story is the story of the already. I, I have seen in the gospel the good news of Jesus, the greatness of God. And, and that greatness is so bright that it shadows everything else that I have ever pursued. It does not compare to him. And so by the grace of God and by the power of his spirit, my life, I want to line up with the heart of God. I want to line up with his word. And now I'm growing and I'm being transformed. I'm not perfect, but I'm in this process. And I'm saying just like me, many of you in this room would say, that's my story. That's my story. I, I have seen God's greatness. I, I pursued other stuff throughout my life. There was one time where I would put my trust in my stuff. I would put my trust in relationship. I have now seen the greatness of God. The mountain has shifted, and, and now he has changed me. I'm walking, and I'm growing, and peace is being established slowly but surely. This is the already. And I'm saying we see the evidence of the already around us all the time. Wednesday night, we heard two stories. Two stories from two young ladies who said, I'm going to go play on that field. 
I'm going to go play on the field of the already where God's greatness is being seen in West Africa and where God's greatness is being seen in Asia. I'm going to go play on that field because the mountain has shifted and God has revealed his greatness and people are turning to him and I'm going to go play on that field already. This is what he's doing. This week I saw the already as God provided for a lady and her children She did not have what she needed, but God had what she needed. And this week, he turned her story from darkness to light. It happens around us all the time. It is the evidence of God's goodness. It is the evidence of his grace. It is the evidence of in the middle of darkness, he's still turning lights on. He's still giving those, those flickers of hope. We see it around us all the time. But I'm saying in the same week where we have the evidence of the already, there is also evidence of the not yet. Because this week, there were also some funerals. People who were loved passed. There was loss. This week, we have people fighting some incredibly difficult sickness. This week, we have people fighting for their marriages. This week, we have people fighting addictions that are trying to control them and own them. This week, the same week where there is evidence of the already, there is the evidence of the not yet. A war that still rages. Peace, not yet. And this is the tension that you and I live in. Now the truth is, all the promises of God have found their yes in Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches us. If God promises, it is yes. And we know that it is yes because of Jesus. You and I, we walk in the light. If we trust in him, we are, we are filled with his spirit, but we still find ourselves in this space in between. And come on, I think, you, I think you experience this emotionally when it comes to your relationship with Jesus because it's this feeling of, of I, I already have it, but I'm also chasing. It's the already, but the not yet. It's the fact that Jesus has given birth to to peace, but I'm hungry for more peace. He saved my soul, but but I am longing uh, more of what I already have. Maybe it would be helpful if I um, give you the words, a well-known theologian and how he expressed this tension. This is how he said it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed 
into one. You, you hear what Bono's saying? You're like, who said that? Who said that? You go back and read the lyrics to the song. He's saying, I've tasted it, I've got it, I know it, but I want it. It's this already but not yet. It is this space in between. And so the question is how do we live in this space? How do we live right in the already but not yet? And that's what we're going to explore in this series. That's what we're going to talk about in these weeks leading up to Christmas. That is the biggest introduction I've ever given in my entire life. That was it. Here's where I want to leave you today. Here's where I want to leave you. Revelation chapter 21. I want you to hear this text. And then over the following weeks, we're going to get really practical with some of this. But look at what it says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Watch where this goes. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now when I read that passage, I just can't help but try to imagine the look on the Apostle John's face when Jesus says this to him for the first time. Because what we know is that by this time, John is old. He is, he is an old man. Most of the people he knows are gone. Most of the people that, that, that John knows, in terms of his contemporaries, they have been killed. They have been put in prison for their faith in Jesus. John himself has been boiled alive. And he didn't die. And when he didn't die, it freaked the people out who were trying to kill him. They exile him to an island called Patmos. And it is on that island, after John has experienced all of that, that Jesus shows up and says, not going to be any more pain, no more, no more tears, nobody's going to die, no more suffering. And you got to know when John hears this, that there's, there's kind of this, Okay, we're going to have to like adjust this just a little bit when we put it out for the people, right? Because it's like, okay, there's going to be some suffering, and there's going to be some dying, and, and there's going to be some tears, and Jesus says, no, there's not. Because, John, you're living in the already, but, oh, there's a not yet. How can we trust this? How can we trust this? Here's what he goes on to say. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said it to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Here's how you trust it. John, I'm the same one who always was in the beginning. Well, guess what? I'm the one who always is in the end. 
I'm the one who spoke it into existence in the beginning. I made it so that nobody had to feel shame. Nobody had to hide. And you know what? I'm the same one who will make all things new. John, you can trust what I'm saying. And the way Isaiah says it a long time before Jesus gives it to John is simply this way. Back to verse 5 in Isaiah chapter 2. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. How are we supposed to walk this out? He says you walk it out in the light of the Lord. Darkness to light. You walk it out in the light of the Lord. I, I, I want to encourage you just a little bit. I realize that for some of you, maybe this time like together is incredibly painful, and maybe you don't want to be here, and, and I don't know, I, but for some of us in this room, you will get this when I say it. I, I want to encourage you that since the first note was played in our time together, we are 70 minutes closer to the skies opening up and the return of a king. This time, not in a manger, but a reigning, supreme, sovereign king who will reign over everything forever and ever. We are 70 minutes closer to the sky splitting open and him changing it all. Now here's what happens though when it's 2,000 years since such a promise is made. We go to sleep. So what we do? Some of us, you get us still for 10 seconds, we can go to sleep much less 2,000 years, right? But it's what we do, we go to sleep. And that's why so much of Scripture, when we read Jesus talking the Gospels, Jesus is saying, stay awake, right? You read, read the Gospels and just how many times he's saying, you, get, you need to stay alert. You need to pay attention to what's going on around you. You need to stay awake. What Isaiah put it was, walk in the light of the Lord. Because listen, at any moment, he could tear open the sky. And when he does, there is no place to hide. You keep walking in the light of the Lord. I know you're looking at this world, and particularly you're looking at our part of the world, and it is a Western world that seems to have lost our mind. It is broken and it is crazy. But come on, no matter where you stand, our hope is not in politicians. And our hope is not in nationalism. Our hope is that this reigning king of glory who is Jesus has revealed the truth that all the other stories are false. And so we come to him, we give him our yes, and we walk in the light. 
what I want for you this Christmas season in all of the busyness, in all that you got to get done, in, in all the buying that does need to happen, in all the events that you're required to be at, in all of the craziness of family and stuff where you got to deal with awkward situations and, and navigate this and how are we going to work out that in the middle of it all? In the middle of it all. That you will realize a king is going to return. A king is going to return. Walk in the light of the Lord. In just a minute, we're going to sing. And we are officially going to sing our first Christmas song. You're like, it's about time, right? I thought we would sing it at the holiday dinner. I thought we would sing Christmas songs there. And we came in today and we needed to sing. We are about to sing our first Christmas carol. I don't want you to simply enjoy the song we're about to sing because of the nostalgia attached to it. I don't want you to sing this song because there are some memories that it brings in you. There's some feel-good stuff of connection to your past. I want you to sing this song with a perspective that it is 2000, almost 2000, and crazy 19. And we are in the already but not yet, waiting for a return. Some days I am weary from the heartbreak of this world. I am. Some days my heart breaks when I'm watching hearts break. And especially in this season where it's especially hard if you lost somebody that you love. It's especially hard when families are gathering and you're realizing even the brokenness that occurs over time. The brokenness in these old bodies and things, they wear out. and We watch the effect of disease. We, we just watch all that happen. As you sing songs like we're going to sing today, I don't want it to just be about nostalgia for you. I want it to be a place of hope where you're able to stop and say, now we are 75 minutes closer to the sky splitting open. And a king returns who promises to make everything new. And because of his death and resurrection, he has the authority to remove the capacity for mourning, crying, suffering, pain, and loss. And there will be peace forever and ever. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.
God, if I know it, then I know that you know it so much, so much more perfect. There's something about this season, God, that can, um, can just cause the, the feeling of, of pain, of loss, of hurt, of brokenness. God, it, it, if we're not careful, God, it, it can feel overwhelming. And so I'm, I'm asking you to help us, God. I'm, I'm asking you to help us as we walk through this over the coming weeks. How do we walk in this? God, how, how do we walk in this space between where there really are a lot of us in this room that we, we see already the evidence of what Isaiah said to us today, the mountain that is risen, Jesus who has come in our lives, we, we have responded and by your grace, you have brought us in. And yet we feel the struggle. There are still tears. There's still mourning. There's still death. God, in this season, I'm asking you to help us to step outside of nostalgia. God, help us to step outside of just routine and ritual and God, even just doing something because this, it, it just, there's, there's a part of us that it, it, it makes our heart feel good. God, I'm asking that in this season, God, there would be a stirring in our heart that awakens us to the truth that the king who came the first time is coming again. And therefore, God, there would be this longing to bring you joy. God, in this season, a, a longing for, to, to, to move us to repentance, God. We don't want to just walk out another, another Merry Christmas acting like we got it all together. God, I'm asking you to move in our heart that it would make us want to walk this out in truth. God, in this season, may there be a longing that your kids will share what we have been given. And to a world that doesn't know what this is about, really. But there's still a longing in their heart that you put there. God, give us courage to speak the truth that darkness can be turned to light. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask it. Amen.